Hi, this is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. It's true. It's true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, premier free writing magazine on the internet, featuring articles on writing the writing life, and also video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. In fact, I've just put up a new one. Yes, indeed, I had a conversation with Anna Sale, the host of the award-winning and very popular podcast, Death, Sex, and Money, and she had a book out called How to Talk About Hard Things, and oh, we had a great conversation about writing that book and about her conversations that she has, and just life in general. And uh, so that's up there now authormagazine.org. We're also funded by the Pacific Northwest Writers Association. They have been supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. You can learn more about them at pnwa.org. Yes, indeed. Okay, a month away. Yes, it is. Just almost exactly a little less than a month now. Uh, Everyone has what it takes. A writer's guide to the end of self-doubt will be out there. You can pre-order it now wherever you want, or you can wait until the day of and wander into your local bookstore wearing your mask, of course, and buy it there if you want. Uh, Very much looking forward. Oh, I'm excited. Can't wait. Can't wait. I'm going to be having a book launch on the 3rd, and, uh, you know, I'll try to make it available. So if anybody wants to come, you can come. It's going to be virtual, so... That could be a lot of fun, too. All right, so, oh, I just had the best conversation with Claire Whitfield, uh, debut author. Oh, I'm so glad to share it with you. Claire is um, she's a U.K.-based writer living in a suburb where the main cultural landmark is a home store Starbucks combo. She is the wife of a tattoo artist, mother of a small benign dictator, and relies on a black Labrador for emotional stability. She has been a dancer, copywriter, Amateur fire breather, buyer, and mediocre weightlifter, but now she's an author. Uh, she just, well, it's just released in, the, in America. People of an aband- of abandoned character. People of abandoned character. It's called a kind of literary crime novel. It's fantastic. We had a great conversation, and I get to share it with you now. Enjoy. All right, Claire. Welcome to the show. It's good to have you. Thank you for having me, Bill. So, all right. So this book, People of Abandoned Character, uh, this is your first novel. This is your debut novel, yeah? Yeah, that's correct, yeah. But uh, you published in short stories prior to this, uh, essays. You had some publishing history prior to this book. What was that like? Um, well, many moons ago, um, when I was bright eyed and bushy tailed and in my 20s, um, I worked as um, kind of like in an editorial department. But back when content, you know, the Internet was brand new. I'm that old. So there was I was sort of like an editorial assistant for a website, if you like. So I had to write news, um, which was really, really boring for the power and energy markets. <laughs> All right. Hey, all right. We're going to. So, okay. So that's where that started. But let's back up. Let's back up even further. Um, this book was written by someone who loves to write. I know that sounds like kind of redundant, but that is clear. Uh, every writer really loves to write, but I could tell there's a certain savoring you took with this, which I quite enjoyed myself. So usually, usually that is because the person has been interested in the written word for a long time. Is that true for you? Did you did it did it pop up into your something you like to do when when you were a child? 
Um, yes and no. I think it's, um, you know, I grew up in a house where the only person who really read books was my mother. And she's, it's like a really like very ordinary working class family. So the kind of books she would read were very like, you know, Northern woman comes good sort of, you know, working class, gritty novels or right. kind of romance. And there was a lot yeah. of Mills and Boone like hiding all a over lot the of house. What? Mills and Boone's, do you remember those romance novels? No, Mills and Boone's, are those particular to the UK or are those? those? They might be, but they're terribly, very short novels, but let's just say they're um, kind of for um, housewives who might need some eroticism in their right, lives. Right, right. Hidden all over the house. <laughs> I think that was my early introduction to like my mother's reading tastes because oh, I was into music, obviously. <laughs> um, but reading was kind of my sister's thing with my mum. They the liked older to read. Older or younger than you, your sister? I'm the youngest of four, and she was the nearest one to me. And there was um, seven years difference, seven or eight years, Ooh, about oh. seven and a half. Wow! So yeah, you're the youngest of four, and there were seven years between you and you. May have been an accident, Claire. I don't want to. I don't want to alarm Yes, they you. did break it to me. I worked that out. <laughs> it sounds like it. That's all right. Yeah. But you were loved once you showed up, no doubt. Um, I think so, yeah. All right. <laughs> well, you're doing okay. And so, all right. So there was reading in the house, but it, so it's a working class family. You know, it's an interesting thing about writers. Almost every writer I know didn't know any writers. Like no writer comes from, a, it's not a family business. There's a few. I mean, Martin Amos and King's are famous, you know, father-son combo. But most families, like, you don't know. You come from a world where there's maybe someone loves to read. So it's true for you. And, but even that, it sounds like it wasn't like an academic family. Absolutely not. No, I was the first person in my family to go on to, um, like, further education and university. Wow. wow. So it was always the weird one. They were much more practical people. You know, my dad was in the Navy. My mum uh, was in the Air Force. That's how they met. So they were kind of from that background. And no one really read those type of books. But um, my sister and my mother had this relationship. And I always felt very outside of that. But I was very gobby at school. because Gobby? Help me. As a mouthy. Oh, oh you were gabby. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Full of attitude. And I think that was because... The way my dad saw it, he, he was quite indulgent of me because I was the youngest child by quite a gap. And he was like, if you don't encourage her to speak up and be vocal, she's going to be a really little mouse-like person because she's got all these big people right, right. pressing oh. her down. So he, he reminds me a little of the grandfather in, uh, in this book. Just a little bit. Has a little bit of that. I don't really? know. Yeah, I don't a know. A little bit. I don't like to get into that too much. You know, everybody, I think every book is autobiographical on some level. And every, mem I would say every memoir is fiction and every, all fiction is memoir. I think it's always, you know, blending that. But, yeah. Okay. So, but so, so writing wasn't, I mean, you were interested in reading, but it sounds like you weren't like 10 years old and like, by God, I'm going to be a writer someday. This was not happening yet when you were young no I didn't think it was for me because I allowed other people to explain that it wasn't for me uh, so <laughs> yeah. you know books were um Jane Eyre anything by Jane Austen oh. those were the things that writers would yeah. read and, and it wasn't until I got a bit older and um I always did well at English at school I always got right. top marks I always did well academically but um 
it wasn't until my English teachers when I got older started introducing me to different types of literature that I was really like wow like what and what did they introduce you to so um the book that was the big sort of defibrillator is in like woke me up that thought oh my god I want to be a writer this is what I want to do I can you know yeah. was um Slaughterhouse Five by Kurt Vonnegut ah. Oh boy, that was a big one for me when I was a young fella. I I was a huge Vonnegut fan when I was a kid. Yeah, it was just like the way. What was he, it about it? Uh, I just thought, you know what? Reading about Billy Pilgrim and his thoughts and the way he wasn't always presented as a nice person. You know, he was totally and brutally honest. Yeah, yeah. About his thoughts, and yeah. you, rather than turn me off him, that just made me think. Oh, wow, I have those thoughts, too. I have terrible thoughts about people. And I, you know, and it makes you think, oh, I am human. There are other people. And you've, it made that, it was an amazing revolution to, one, think I feel closer to the person that wrote this book yeah. than I do to anybody around me. <laughs> and that, for me, was the defibrillator moment. Of, that is the power of really good writing. Wow, that is a, such a great story. It is so true. And I've always said that writing is the most intimate art form. Writing, the writer-reader, I mean, I love all the art forms. I really do. I, I like music. I like theater. I like film. My wife's a visual artist. But there is, but because the writer, when you read something, you have to take it in and make it your own, right? You're, you're bringing it to life in your mind. It is so intimate. And I know exactly what you were talking about. I remember I was a young, young man reading the poetry and the books and thinking, somebody thinks like, I'm not actually alone. I'm not the only yeah. one. It's such a wicked yeah. moment, isn't it? And it's happening it's all like, over the world. Yeah. And it's like, it's one of the things that, without getting too like mushy, it's more Get mushy. I wish I wish people could read more because then you will know what it's like you can have more than one life you know yeah. and not only that you can sort of bridge all these gaps you know especially at the moment where people seem driven into tribes as in you know you've got to pitch your identity around a sort of a tribe and an identity and a label right. and you've got to stay within that sort of lane and I just think if we all read more books about people completely different to us it's an amazing like you say, intimate, you, you realize actually we are just human at the, at the sense of it. It's just these raw emotions and That's these experiences. Right. And, you, and it was amazing. Isn't it interesting about writing too? Because I write personal essays now and I'm the protagonist in these little stories that I tell, but it's never about me. It's about the universal that I find within my experience. And even in a story, so you've written a book that takes place in Whitechapel, 1888, 1888 is that yes yep. yep so you can people may be able to guess what the central thing is happening in that at that time but um but you still have to find the universal in that you have to find the universal in your protagonist and in her husband and in everyone and you're always looking for that thing so that everyone could identify even though i never lived in white chapel i'm not a woman blah, 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 right but you're still looking for that universal human strain that runs through everything no matter when or what you're writing about yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think um, I managed to get that sort of flavour from when I was researching. One of the things that I mean, I'm such a nerd. I could spend like days doing it. But um, there's so many resources of like newspapers online, archives. Yeah. Yep. And I really enjoyed, probably a little bit too much, reading newspapers from the time. 
because you kind of think of you know there's that saying isn't it um the past is a different country we did things differently then i can't remember who said that but it, you think these people as different species almost yeah yeah yeah. But when you read the newspapers, yes, the language is hard to get past. It's a bit like reading Shakespeare. But, yeah. you know, you get into it by the end. Right. Um, the stories were the same. The fears were the same. Um, the chaos was the same. The wealth inequality was the same. The fear about this unseen monster lurking to take us all down was the same. The yeah. who do we blame finger pointing was there. It was... So I found that hysterically funny at first because yeah. I thought we really haven't progressed very far. <laughs> well, what it is to be human, it's like the, the costumes keep changing. We do learn a yeah. little bit more. I mean, there is some evolution. There is some evolution, but it happens very, uh, very slowly. And, uh, and, and I suspect did the, the newspapers must have helped you capture the, because you, even though you're writing, you're writing in the first person and you have the character has a voice that, that you really nailed. Uh, she's a strong narrator, but she's still sort of capturing the time. She still has to be a voice for that time without getting too far. And I suspect those newspapers must have been helpful, almost like an actor or has to capture an accent by listening and listening, listening. That must have helped you capture the voice of that time, yeah? Yeah, definitely. And also like, when you're taught history in schools, it's always very basic. And it's always, as people say, you know, it's taught by the winners. Yes. But right. one of the things, yeah, I really loved was doing more research and especially into sort of um, the female experience at that time, doing more research into um, especially the whole nursing thing. Yeah, that was interesting. So that's true. A lot, it's all true, as in um, the matron really was called Eva Lux and she was a confidant of Florence Nightingale. And they, there was this sort of network of quite affluent upper middle class women who were desperately trying to make nursing a profession. Right. And that mean, I mean, it took years. Obviously, I didn't put all that in the book. It was just sort of a, a feature as an element, a part of the character's development. That, but it was true. There were swathes of these women desperate to be able to earn a decent wage that they yeah. could live on have the camaraderie and the sort of you know the 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 benefits of joining up a skilled profession in a time when basically economically if you wanted to survive you needed to find the best benign dictator in right. a husband those were your options that was yeah it. that was it that was it and it and it was it it, it must have been quite a relief for some women who were willing to brave the hospital, which was not the safest environment to begin with, to know that they weren't dependent on somebody else, to know that, that was at yeah. least an option. Yeah, they didn't want to enter a nunnery yeah. or whatever. Well, yeah, it was kind of like a crossover time where there's a sort of, you perhaps would have thought some of these women maybe in another time would have gone to the convent and tried their luck there. But right. <laughs> it was the nursing reforms before, what really shocked me was that previous to that, nursing was really regarded as quite, um a dirty profession it was oh. unskilled right. yeah um and it was one above really prostitute street walking it there was no really? skill in it. it yeah it was really wow. unskilled they had a massive revolution to go over and when they managed to do that by almost appealing to the egos of doctors they couldn't do it without the support of men but what was really interesting is that science was at such a pivotal time that 
the doctors and the scientists that wanted to keep pushing pioneering medical work, they knew that when their patients had the care of nurses, they had more success rate, they had more survival rates. Right. So there's almost this sort of trade between them as in, right, we'll support you because we need you to support us and pioneer these things. So that's how it really came through. And it's they were inundated. Nursing was like a beacon of a profession of hope for, you know, hundreds of thousands of women. Yeah. And and you just sort of stumbled. You just sort of stumbled on this and writing, wanting to write a book about did it start because you wanted to write a book about what happened if well, I'm not going to give too much away. But did it start with an interest in Jack the Ripper? Where did it begin? Um, it never started with an interest. Well, it kind of did. So basically, I've been kind of into, it sounds really awful without sounding really flippant, but I don't mean it like that. But I've been one of those gothy children that has been interested in crime and murder since they realised what it was. Right. One of my nicknames is Wednesday Adams. And I, I serial killers, you know, from the age of 12, my mum would be was beside herself with fear. You know, she was like, you've really got to find another hobby because all this reading about murderers is quite frankly staring the bejesus out of us. <laughs> um, so I knew about Jack the Ripper, obviously. So why would I bother myself with a garden variety serial killer that is practically 101 of serial killers? Right. But I did an adult education class for creative writing and all the weirdos and randoms that brings to it. And one of the exercises was to write a piece based on newspapers. So this is where it all came from. So the, the teacher brought in newspaper clippings from the time of 1888, writing about Jack the Ripper's murders. And it was creative writing just to get us going. And she said, you can write from any point of view about that murder, but it can't be a prostitute victim and it can't be a policeman. Use your imagination. And I thought I did the most obvious thing next. His wife or a woman who thinks she might accidentally, her husband could be him. Right. Um, And we all did our pieces and it had such a strong reaction from the class. They were like, oh, that's really interesting. And I never really thought that was in 2012. And just over time, whenever I got stuck in classes or doing things, I ended up pulling that one out of the bag. You know, when you freeze and you're like, I have no creativity in me. Yeah. And that one. So it would pop out of the bag. And um, everyone would always have a really strong reaction. So in the end, I kind of used it as my dissertation. I did a master's degree eventually in creative writing. And I used it for my dissertation purely because I had a blank moment. And I thought, well, I've done it now. I'm going to have to see it through. And then I thought, you know what? I'm just going to use this as a vehicle to write my first book. Then I'll have exercised this demon and I can move on. Yeah. And then here we are. So, so, but you know, this is an interesting book because I mean, it's a, it's in a, in the family of mystery, we'll say, but it kind of. But I, I'm wondering where they shelve it because it's it's such a deliciously written book. You know, the the sort of the the reader in me who just loves voice and loves a smart, articulate narrator was enjoying it, and then the reader in me that likes a good mystery was enjoying it and then the sort of guy who's interested in history was interested in it so like where do they shelve it what's their what's how are they how are they presenting the publishers um so i'm in crime fiction in the uk okay generally 
Yeah. It's taken it obviously because it is kind of I never wanted to be a historical fiction writer. So I was really nervous of taking that on. Yeah. And I would say that when I was knee deep in the research, I would have emphatically said never again will I ever do this. But I actually really enjoyed it. But I'm not a historical writer as in, you know, I'm not faithful. Like I'm not like Hilary Mantle or anything right, like that. Right. I'm interested in the story. It's the story. Yep. And I'm really interested in setting. So ah, okay. fiction is where I would say hang my hat. And I suppose if you were to get niche it down even more, it's what they called domestic noir. Not that I knew what that meant until someone told me domestic noir well this has a lot of domesticity to it it's true um uh but well anyway the the the, the I, keep, I keep coming back to it, but the voice is so strong and um it's what grabbed me on the first page and um i thought this person knows how to write i know was what came to me and i oh. hopefully this is true of, it's true of all the writers i interview but i particularly enjoy a certain kind of voice because it was so funny and smart and so i just eat that up and so uh do you do you feel drawn do you think you'll want your next books to be in the first person or do you not tie to that at all it tends to crime it does lend itself to the first person i i really enjoy writing the first person my second book which is work in progress um is also first person yeah. and i really love i love the intimacy of it yeah and i also love the you know, it's just one person's point of view. And, and I really like playing with the fact that as a reader, you don't necessarily have to take their word for it. And there should be other things in the book, maybe that give the reader clues that perhaps the person talking to them isn't the most, you know, that unreliable right. narrator. Right. And also at the same time, I really love the experience of having someone's total experience be their version of the truth right right that's it so i really enjoy yeah i enjoy writing first person i don't set know if i'll do it forever because who knows but no you're gonna wake up one day and you're gonna hear a third person narrator in your voice and then in your head and that'll be what you do so all right but this is your first novel but you took to your masters you got your masters in it and so you were committed to fiction writing it sounds like um yeah but when you wrote this what was the hardest part for you? What was because this is a not you know a novel is a novel. It's a thing you know. What was the hardest part for you? Um, it depends what you mean. I suppose the thing that was the hardest thing for you to learn, the thing that you really said, "I got to learn how to do this." I tell you what, and it's not really practical writing stuff, but it is probably one of the biggest things was demanding time. And making it a priority with other people and getting them to accept it. Interesting. Does that include because as a, who are those other people that, that needed to accept it? Will you name names? Everyone. everyone. I can name names. They're in the other room and you know they know I hate them. But um <laughs> I would say in theory, it's like one of those things. It's like when you say, right, I run want I want to write a book, and your husband will, yeah, absolutely, I'm right behind you, and your daughter will say, Absolute, sounds great, mum. Right. But that means a difference when you come in to interrupt me several times and ask me a million different questions and ask me where your shoes are or if I've done this or if I've done that. Every time you interrupt me, you are not accepting that or 
you make plans or you want us to go out or friends over but I'm writing a book remember right. and that was a real fight you know because yeah. people and I never really spoke about outside my circle because as I said like you said you know I don't know any writers until I wrote a book and now I know loads but now you're, you're now you know a few I'm sure yeah they are difficult people aren't they <laughs> writers are pains in the proverbials but um yeah, and before that, I didn't know anybody. So people would be like, oh, and I did honestly have that questioning. Like, I am spent, I had no book deal. I was spending weekend and evening every, like, what am I doing with my life? I am here beavering away. Everyone thinks I'd lost the plot, you know. <laughs> like, you, know you can almost see the exaggerated talks. Is she still doing that book thing? <laughs> you know? Yes, I and do. Yes, I do. I teach a lot of, I teach writing, but I also, I teach um, sort of the emotional challenges of writing and what you are describing, particularly for women, not so much for men. It, we don't have that problem. <laughs> We're okay. We will close the door. No problem. But women, it's a little harder. Um, you know, I, and you know, my wife's a writer, I'm a writer, so it's easy. We just get it, you know, but it, that drawing that line for a lot of people, particularly women is hard. It's hard for yeah. them to just say, like, look, I love you. Go away. Like you got. You, you can find your own socks. You <laughs> can find your own socks. You're gonna. You know. What? Also, I think this is true. And 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 to in, in in your husband's defense, in your daughter's defense, um, they can sense whether they'll acknowledge it or not. Something is going on in that room. That's kind of like a relationship that they are not involved in. You know. Yeah. It really is. You know whether you want. To Called yeah. muse or the characters or whatever, there is a kind of relationship that they are just not involved in, and yeah. they feel they may feel a little jealous of it almost. It's so important to you, you know, and that might be hard for them to understand because they're not, you know, your husband's a tattoo artist. It's a different kind of artwork, and so it's not it's public and it's not the same, quite the same thing. Mm -hmm. Does that makes mm -hmm. sense. Yeah, I mean, he was. Possibly, I mean, he was annoying, but he, if you absolutely, because he does his own tattoo, he's a tattoo artist and he does actually paint as well. So he does get it on a conceptual level. So if you right. really like, look, <laughs> if you explain it to him, you will, okay, I'm backing away. <laughs> um, so that worked. It, it's more like, I'd say friends and family, you, they, you see the pitying look. So it's like saying, when you say you want to be a writer or you're writing, it is literally, you may as well just say you want to be Beyonce. Right. You know, right. they're looking at you like, Somebody, she's crazy. Right. right. You know, it's so true. And, and, and I think that every writer has to kind of get over that in themselves, except like, I'm not, this is not, I don't have to fly to the moon. People, yeah. people do this. And I could be one of those people, but it's a, it's a yeah. big leap. Cause you know, so your last num name is W. So if there's some writer that you admire named white or wither or whatever, your name is going to appear on that. Your book may be next to theirs on the shelf and it's going to belong there just like Shakespeare or Emily Dickinson or whoever, whoever it's all the same. Yeah. I'm getting used to, don't you think? Yeah, a hundred percent. It's it's really strange experience. It's it's it really is like being naked in front of the world, you know. <laughs> and but it's it's a great experience, and I and I think that's one of the things why I wanted to pursue it so much because like 
I want to have the and I and this is another thing of I think why people read it's like I don't just want to have one experience I want to have more than one life I want to know what it feels like to be a I don't know a Sherpa taking people up Everest you know I want to know what it feels like and I think even though I knew it was frightening and you know it was exposing and you felt terribly vulnerable and then you've got a part with bad reviews and good reviews it's an experience and that's how I got myself through it as in like you know I, I want to go through as many experiences as I can before I become worm food that's a good that's a good attitude that's an excellent <laughs> attitude uh all right well oh Claire well no actually we got a couple more minutes still uh so all right so you're squirreling away on your next book and yeah. how is it like so now the book's out and you know I crime fiction it, readers are not always as uh uh they don't, uh, adult readers aren't as communicative as young adult readers or, or children, I've found. You know, you can sell a million copies, but rarely hear from your readers. Have you, ha and, and of course, sadly, you did it in the middle of a pandemic. So, I know. right, I'm planning. but still, what has been your experience with the reading public? How's that gone? Well, um, so I've had a lot of, people message me it's funny because all the people that were kind of skeptical about me like spending investing so much of my life in this are probably the ones who have been most vocal about being surprised and supportive um and obviously there's my wider family people who um I hope they don't listen to this but um people who I really doubt have read a book for years forced themselves to read my book and I was like look you don't have to read my book I'll, right. I'll do a powerful if you like, <laughs> I'll tell you what happens. But they really did feel the need to write the book. And I even got given a handwritten letter from someone who'd read it, like wow. a friend of a friend. And they've written me a letter asking me all these questions about writing. And it was like, wow. wow. Yeah, I, I just it was really surprising. So I can't I've got to say the writing community is really generous and warm spirited in the most part. Sometimes you get tagged in a bad review and you just think, did you even read it? Or that's just unnecessary. But you know what? I'm a big girl. I'm <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can't, you know. Well, it's fine. You know, the I I think reviews, my wife, she nailed it. She said, a review is a description of an experience. An experience somebody had, you know, and yeah. I, if I, if I had the power and a magic wand, I would make it so no writer ever read any reviews by anyone had ever written. Because I think it, I get it, but I feel like you live by the sword, you die by it. And you start thinking you're the greatest because this person loves you. What are you going to do when they say the ending was... Yeah. What are you going to do? It's like you can't live by what people think of your stuff, although it's nice when people like it, but... You don't want to start believing... 100% agree. 100% agree. So like I didn't make a habit of reading any reviews even if there was a good one and said people be like oh read this one it's right, really good and I'm like right. that's great <laughs> but it's inconsequential to me unless you read something and you think oh man you had a good point you know I need to yeah, keep yeah. that but um like you say if I say if I read the good ones then I have to read all the bad ones and I have to take all that in yeah. and where will I be it's like lending too much power outside of you absolutely absolutely it's a good lesson, man. I think every writer's got to learn it. It's because you you live 
you live, you think you live for praise and acceptance, but you do not. But it feels like maybe you do because it feels so good, but it just isn't the point. I mean, I, it's a cliche, but the act of writing still, I hope it remains for you the great reward because it certainly is for me and most yeah. of the writers. I mean, it's nice as the money yeah. and the attention are. There's nothing like going in and discovering, yeah? Yeah, I love um, rewriting. Oh, um, I think it's really common. Um, you know, the, the first draft is always really hard. You've got to really pick that out of, you know, your innards, so to speak. And, <laughs> and then I really love rewriting it. I love going back in and, you know, it's like a sculpture more. You sort of, from the outside in, don't you? You keep going back and working over it and working over it. And it's always like, after I've thought, right, then I've finished, I'll have a couple of nights sleep and think, oh, no, I need to rewrite that bit. And, you know, but I like that. I really like that, which is lucky. <laughs> Yeah, yes, it is. Well, well, Claire, you've done some good stuff here. I hope you're proud of it. Thank you. It's really Thank good you. stuff. I recommend it to my listeners. If you like smart crime fiction, you will love it. Even if you don't like crime fiction, you're going to love it. Uh, I got one more question for you, however. And what I'd like you yeah. to do is, uh, oh, first of all, if people want to learn about you, where can they do that? Do you have a ClaireWhitfield.com or anything? I do. I have a Claire Whitfield books website. Um, so, or find me on Instagram as Claire Riley Whitfield. Um, and I'm on Twitter as Riley Whitfield. So yeah, I'm on all the normal stuff. All right. Excellent. Thank you. So, okay. Uh, one more question, as I promised, finish this sentence. If writing has taught you anything, it's taught you what? Oh, if writing has taught me anything, it's taught me about myself. Oh, and what have what has it taught you about yourself? Just everything, kind of, or just something specifically? That I'm a, I can a lot more capable than I ever gave myself credit for. Yeah, that is, uh, that is a great, great lesson to learn. And I think it's true. I think it's true of every writer. Claire, you're awesome. Uh, Congratulations, and I can't wait to read the next book. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure. All right, there you go. There you go. Teaches you about yourself. Yes, it does. Claire's right. It's true for all of us. Yes, it is. Okay, well, this was a lot of fun. I believe I have another UK based writer next week. Uh, why not? It's a lot of fun. Uh, to all of you out there, specifically oh, my producer, RJ Jeffries, thank you as always. And to you folks out there, go find something you love to do, everyone, and then just do it. Mm -hmm.